Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, welcome back, Solar Warrior. Thank you so much for lending me your ears and the only non-renewable resource that you have. That, of course, is your time. Well, it's nearly Halloween, so I thought I'd bring on someone who's well acquainted with scary situations. Just about the most nerve-wracking thing you could imagine as a solar plant owner or operator is seeing that the plant is down or hearing that a storm has taken it offline for who knows how long. Today's entrepreneur has been on the receiving end of many a frantic call from such an operator, and he and his team of solar veterans have repaired, rehabilitated, and repowered gigawatts of solar plants over the years. Austin Tabor started Solar Support several years ago with the idea of leveraging his deep inverter and plant troubleshooting experience to help EPCs and developers who were constantly running up against issues with older inverters, particularly SMA, that needed repair and they couldn't find the parts or the people to show up in time. Sound familiar? He partnered with a former SMA co-worker and quickly grew one of the most regarded and relied upon technical teams in the game with customers like Depcom and Clearway singing his praises. But believe it or not, Austin started his company as a side hustle. We talk about what it took to convert it to his main gig and what he learned along the way about entrepreneurship, partnership, salesmanship, and stewardship. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to the show as that'll ensure that you don't miss out on our twice weekly content just like this. And of course, you can always check out more than 400 additional founder stories and startup advice at mysuncast.com. You could also show me some love by going to ratethispodcast.com forward slash suncast and leave us your enthusiastic rating and review. For now, get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we tune into another powerful conversation here on Suncast. All right, Solar Warriors, we're going to get into it. And I'm so, so excited to have my friend Austin Tabor on Suncast today. We're going to talk a lot about how this young man has become uh, an entrepreneur that I admire and respect, but also a friend and someone who has been in the industry uh, despite his youth uh, for as long as I have. And uh, for that, I have lots of things that I want to know about this man. Austin is the CEO and co-founder of Solar Support. He's been at the game more than 15 years, and it is my sincere joy and pleasure to have him here on Suncast. Welcome, Austin. Thank you, Nico. I'm excited as you are to be here. Yeah, man. I have, uh, I've learned a lot from you and, you know, you, you've gone through a lot. So it's fun to kind of watch as you have grown and matured. Uh, and I constantly forget what I know about sort of the depth and breadth of your experience. Hopefully we can get into and share with others the way that you have honed, sort of carved 
your path or perhaps the industry like a river has carved a path through you. I'm not, not quite sure uh, yet. No, so no. <laughs> but, no, that's exactly what it feels like sometimes. I know, I know. Because um, sometimes, you know, we've, we've been in the river for so long, it's hard to distinguish whether we are in the river or we are the river. So uh, we're, we're going to have fun with this. I'd like to, uh, I'd like to start back at the beginning. Tell me mm. a bit about what it was like for you growing up in California and how your, uh, maybe your family life or your community life helped shape the person that you've become. So very early on, um, my parents, they were uh, devout uh, Christians. They, it was a very strict uh, organization that they were in. And one of the benefits of it, uh, other than it being so strict and me, you know, uh, essentially sandbagging the entire time, is the fact that they, it, it forced you into uncomfortable situations. And being those uncomfortable situations, that's what makes a person grow. So I was put into a lot of uncomfortable situations. You know, you're knocking on someone's door Saturday morning who's not really looking forward to you knocking on their door Saturday morning. And you show up there, and but you're a kid, so you're cute. Well, I don't know if I was a cute kid. I, I might have been a cute kid. We'll send pictures. And I'm showing them, you know, literature and articles and stuff. And they're just like, they're, it's early. They don't want to be there. And they're like, yeah, thank you, but no thanks. Close the door. And that was most of my Saturdays. No way, dude. Um, and then becoming, was, becoming yeah, a conversationalist. Man. Oh, it was painful. I was <laughs> like, why am I doing this? Dad, can you talk on this one? Yeah. But yeah, so that, it turned into that. And then I had opportunities to give like public, public speaking to some degree. And um, yeah. it was mainly like Bible readings and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But um, that, was, that was a big chunk of my childhood before high school. Uh, once I got to high school, I was a little more rebellious. Uh, I, had, I had really interesting hair questionable clothing choices and uh, questionable friends to some degree, if you know what I mean. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I've, uh, I've seen you stand out in the crowd and your ability to carry a conversation with just about anyone you come across and do so jovially uh, is one of the things that I appreciate about you. Um, And I know that it has carried you far uh, in your career. You've had to interface with uh, all sorts of folks. And I can only imagine that the training in your early childhood just built this muscle in you to have patience and a deep well of kindness. Uh, What else in terms of maybe first principles do you feel like you've gleaned from, I'll call it the training that your, your family and your community gave you? One of the things that they said, it it wasn't, um, man, it's a tough to tough way to say this. It wasn't like, Oh, these are the rules. They're like, we don't have rules kind of a thing. It's like, we have principles. Principles are different than rules. That's always kind of sat in the back of my, uh, in the back of my head and been like, Hey, like, you know, whatever you're going to end up doing, make sure you, you cultivate these principles as opposed to just making rules for yourself. So that's, that's kind of followed me, uh, you know, for a long time. Most importantly from that is, uh, listening just when someone's talking to you, just really try and absorb what they're saying, uh, and listen, don't wait for your turn to talk. I and mean, people say that, but it's, it's very hard to do. And then the other one is patience. Uh, you there's times to speak up, but there's a lot of time where you just need to kind of be quiet and watch um, to see what's going on. And I've I've definitely done a lot of that, just kind of watching and and, and waiting and, and listening to what people are saying before uh, before making a call. And in some cases, though, you know, you do end up where you are. It's the flip side of that, where like you should have spoken up and you didn't. You sat around too long and just kind of waited. Um, so it's there's a balance there that you have to you have to come up with. But that's. That's been the biggest thing that's kind of carried with me throughout that time period. Are you a Ray Dalio fan? I have one of his books, uh, I think actually based on your recommendation, but I have not read it yet. Yeah. It's sitting on the shelf up back there. 
I imagine you've got the book called Principles. I would really encourage you to, uh, as I do, just listen to the audio book and then you can use the reference uh, manual that is the book of Principles, which is quite thick uh, and worth having. And it's <clears throat> a hardbound copy that I think everyone should have in their library. But uh, it is, uh, it's a tome. It's hard to get through to sit down and read it. The audio book, as much as you're driving, would be really easy to get through. And uh, it can be heady, but it actually, I think, would bring you back to some of those early life uh, anchors around principles and how to cultivate them. And as a CEO, I think it is a really great tool. Uh, you know, you you guys, we'll probably talk about this a little bit, but I know that you use the EOS, Entrepreneur Operating System Traction Concepts, to build team and to build the vision and, and future for the business. And few entrepreneurs are as vocal in sort of putting in writing as Ray Dalio has been. The ways that they've categor categorically structured not only their business, but their life. So I would definitely encourage you to lean in on that mm -hmm. one. Well, you know, I, I didn't really know much about renewables or solar at all until I moved to California. You kind of grew up in a culture where apart from kind of the U.S. Northeast, California is really the, the heart of the, the solar boom. Tell me about the first time that you realized that that was a possibility in terms of career or direction in your life. All right. So this is, this is a really interesting story. You're going to love it. Um, this kind of dives into something, something else a little bit, but anyways, I was living on my own in, uh, in Pismo beach and I was working in restaurants in the service industry. Mm. And I was just every morning, go surfing, skate, you know, get back home, shower, skateboard over to the restaurant, you know, work in the restaurant. And then, uh, I realized I'm not, I'm making good money, but my career is going nowhere Yeah, <laughs> unless I keep, cause I'm looking at people in the restaurant and, and if any of those guys are listening, I apologize, but I mean, they got old, they got old and they're still working here. And I'm like, I don't want to work in this restaurant my entire life. I love the restaurant and I still crave the food there. Uh, Giuseppe's Pismo beach. If you guys are ever in Pismo beach, go to Giuseppe's. It's so good. <laughs> Noted, note taking. So anyways, I want to do something else. And I was talking, I think I was talking to my dad about, it. I was like, I don't know what I want to do. I'm not sure. He's like, well, pick up a trade. And I'm like, you know what? I'm like, you're a plumber. My my grandfather's a carpenter. I'm like, we don't have an electrician. We need an electrician. I'm like, I'm going down to the U to the IBW Union Hall, and I'm gonna I'm gonna no be an shit. Went down to the IBW um, and filled out the application. They loved me. Got to the interview process, and I blew it. I totally blew it. Got through all the questions, and like, well, tell us about yourself. Tell us what you like to do. I don't know why I didn't say, hey, I like to surf every day. Hey, I, I work in the restaurants. I like, you know, hanging around my friends. I don't know why I didn't say that. Instead, I was like, I love doing origami. <laughs> I love folding paper and just making these cool shapes. And like, I really hadn't done it in a while. Like my grandma taught me that stuff and I did it then, but I hadn't done it in a while. And I'm like, why did I even bring this up? <laughs> you wanted the to be interesting. The interview was shortly. I wouldn't be interesting, of course, because origami, I'm so interesting. Anyways, I didn't, I didn't get picked up at the IBW. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, they... They don't know what they uh, lost, and and the and the solar world is to is to credit. So from there, I, I told my dad like, "Hey, it didn't work out. Sorry." Uh, he's like, "Well, go knock on people's doors." He's like, "You don't have to be a union electrician. Go knock on people's door." And I'm like, "You know what? That's a great idea, but I don't want to knock on just electrical places' door. I'm like, I want to be in solar energy." I'd always had kind of a drive. I was like, seeing solar cars and all kinds of stuff out in the desert. I was like, those are cool. I want to check that out. So I went, uh, I went down to REC Solar was based in San Luis Obispo at the time. Yeah. And I went down to- and you were uh, going to, to Cal Poly? I think they're still there. No, I wasn't in, no, I wasn't in school at all. I didn't- uh, I didn't This is worth asking. You can get to that. Yeah, hand. yeah. So went to REC Solar, you know, dressed up nice, had a collared shirt and all this and walked in and I'm like, yeah, guys, like I'm here. Like I, I really want a job. And they're like, we're not hiring. Like get out of here. 
So the third place I went to was a company called AM Sun Solar. I sent them uh, my resume. They were based in Atascadero, so a little bit farther commute for me in Pismo Beach. And they brought me on and they were flexible. They let me work in the daytime and uh, I got off a little bit early so I could go down and work in the restaurant in the evening. So because coming in starting, I couldn't make the same money that I was making in the restaurant. So I had I had to do both. You pulled the night shift at Giuseppe's. Yeah, it cut back on my surfing, (laughs) but I was able to do both for a while. And then finally, I got proficient at the solar side. And uh, I said, hey, like, can you guys give me a raise to you know this amount so that I can stop working in the restaurants in the evening and, and work a little bit longer here? I said, of course. I look at that time as how I developed my core skills and all the experiences I learned there were, were so valuable in uh, you know, just doing layout, like stuff I'd never been taught. Like, how do you, how do you lay out an array? How do you, how do you get it square? Like, I, I'd never learned that stuff until I was there and it was- They didn't uh, teach you that at the Art Institute? No, no. When I, yeah, <laughs> I didn't learn that at the Art Institute. I, and I did have a square in my, in my little kit from the Art Institute, but I did not, uh, well, that's a, I did not learn how to use it. That's possibly a perfect tee up. What career path did you not go down, but maybe always believe that you would? Yeah. Um, I played a lot of video games as a kid. Um, I spent a lot of time in my teenage years kind of, uh, left to my own devices and, uh, made a lot of friends around playing video games. They had land centers back then. And so I was like, man, I'm going to go to college to make video games. I'm going to be so good. Turns out that uh, you really need to have a lot of artistic skill um, to do some of the, the amazing, incredible things that they do. And while I had some, and I think I had a good eye for design, I was not what you would call an artiste. <laughs> so uh, I looked around at people, what they were doing around me. And I was like, I can't do this. And wow. then the, the catalyst for me, uh, you brought up the, uh, something earlier, but the catalyst for me was a typography class. They're like, we're going to teach you guys how oh, to like no way. draw letters and add serifs to them. And I'm like, guys, like my, my work looks like absolute garbage. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care how much I practiced it. I just, I didn't, I didn't have it. Yeah. Um, so semester and a half in, I, I dipped out. And, and funny thing about this, my dad even told me, he's like, look, he's like, son, like go, go work in a trade, go go get a two-year degree, go do something else. Don't, don't dive straight into this, you know, four-year academy thing. He's like, you may not like it. And then you've, you've kind of thrown that money away. I don't look at it like that. I mean, I feel like I, I had a lot of good takeaways from it. Yeah, yeah. Parents, you know, listen, listen to your parents, kids. Yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> no wonder you went to art school. Your dad told you not to. <laughs> I know, I know. He didn't use his exact words, but basically. Yeah. <laughs> dad, thank you. <laughs> Yeah. Thank, thank, so, thank you, Dad. So, uh, you know, like your Uncle Jobs, you took a typography class and it changed the way you think about the world. Is that, you're not related to Steve yeah, Jobs. It, I just thought I would. No, not, not at all. Different skin tone, different uh, facial hair. But yeah, man, it, uh, it definitely helped me with, with uh, design principles, though. Um, I feel like a lot, of, a lot of what I do in my presentations and in my delivery of things, I do try and make things more polished. And I and I care about fonts. Like if I have a presentation that has three different fonts in it, it, it bothers oh, yeah. me unless it was intentional. Uh, can't, I can't imagine. I'm a stickler would, for that. Yeah. Why someone would intentionally do it. But, <laughs> but they do it. It happens. Yeah. Copy and paste. They copied and pasted too many times. Didn't, and, and didn't notice bad it. stuff. I know. Yeah. Digress. Well, well, I'm sure that there were lessons for you. Did I hear right that you stayed for what, three, basically three terms? One and a half semesters. Okay. I, I did one whole semester and I oh, did okay. One and a half semesters. I thought you said one and a half years. Yeah. No, Ooh. no, no. I got out early. I got this out This really actually tells early. me so much about you, Austin. And I mean, for those who 
are completely unfamiliar. Austin and I have been friends for a number of years. Maybe we'll get into the backstory of that in a bit, but this tells me so much about you because you're one of the few people I know who is willing to fail fast as an entrepreneur, Mm. like just willing to fail fast. And many of us just trudge through and plod along through the pain, expecting and hoping for the, you know, it's like that book. Austin's got children as well. It's like that book that the guy's digging and every time he takes a turn, like three inches ahead of him was this big rough diamond, right? I, mm. I, I know so many entrepreneurs who like, they refuse to turn left or right because they're certain that three more inches of digging is going to bring them to the diamond. And, you know, Seth Godin famously says, you got to know when to stop digging. Got to know when to hold them. That's when right. to fold them. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, little Kenny Rogers in there. This is going to be a fun, yeah. I, this, this interview is going to be one of the most entertaining interviews that you have listened to in quite some time. And if it's Stop, not, you're making it sense. And, yeah, and if right. it's not, then you should just go on Austin's YouTube channel and learn ClickUp. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Did you say ClickUp? Oh, God. <laughs> if you guys aren't using ClickUp, if someone in your organization isn't using ClickUp, um, go get, go get, go get ClickUp. Get ClickUp. We'll, uh, I'll put my, uh, I'll put my reference code in the show notes for everyone. I'll uh, put my <laughs> reference code in the show notes. <laughs> Austin's going to find a way to have a backdoor into my website and put his own referral code. <laughs> Actually, you know what? To be fair, send me your, your ClickUp referral code. I'll put it in the show notes because I'm on ClickUp. I'm on ClickUp because of you. So a little aside as a perfectly service, I can't tell you how many people I've converted to ClickUp because it's amazing and, oh, and eating the world. So I digress. No, seriously, if you, if you are struggling with ClickUp and uh, you don't have anything in your world that has anything related to uh, solar O&M, but you need help with ClickUp, then you should email Austin. You'll listen all the way to the end and you'll have access to how to do that. <laughs> okay. So, you know, one thing I've, I don't think, I don't think I've ever connected the dots on is uh, how you went from like field, in, field engineer, lead installer at AM Sun and then REC to the then sort of market leader SMA and ultimately like in the field fixing shit. Dude. It's such a wild story. Um, <laughs> so I left AM Sun. It was 2008, right? So everything yeah. starts like just kind of crumbling. And I got laid off at AM Sun. Just no way. They had no work for us. I was working at the owner's house um, because he had no solar projects. <laughs> like to his do. gardener, you're, you're cooking cooking <laughs> Italian food like, for him. <laughs> <laughs> he had uh, he had a house he was remodeling that he was going to move his family into. And so essentially we were just, I was learning residential electrical work now. Like I'd learned solar. Mm. That's what's funny with my career is I learned solar electrical before. I learned DC before I learned AC. And most electricians, it's the other way around. Uh So anyways, I did a lot of that and then um, went to REC Solar. And this is funny because I'm like, oh my God, I'm back where I started. This is where I first knocked on their door. I'm now working here. I was so excited to be there. And um, it was one of the worst experiences of my life. Oh my goodness. And it was my fault. Mm. Can you explain? I didn't know how to apologize. I didn't know how to own mistakes. I know that's different from who you know now. <laughs> um, and I made a lot of mistakes. And instead of, and I came into, I came in riding a high horse. I'm like, dude, I've been doing solar for four years. Like, oh, yeah. you know, most of you guys here, two or three years, like you guys should be looking at me. But I was a kid. I was like 22. Yeah. Coming in there saying that. We need to um, post a photo of you at 22 because it's, you're pretty, you're pretty raw. It's different. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's a so you looked like a, like a, like a 12 year old at 22. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like yeah, me now. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I'll never forget this moment. I did the bending wire, uh, bending radius of a, uh, of a breaker uh-huh. too, uh, too tight. Um, it was out of code 
And I landed it on the the line side instead of the load side. I just wasn't looking and paying attention. <laughs> um, and it was a long wire run. So they had to completely repull the wire. It was a ground mount. They had to completely repull the wire run. Oh God. And the, yeah, it was bad. And uh, the, the foreman at the time came to me and he's like, He's like, I want you to leave this to the electricians next time. He's like, you're not an electrician. You're a DC guy. Like, just leave it to the electricians next time. He explained to me what happened, but he was really upset. I could tell he was like seething with anger. He was shaking as he was talking to me. And that was the time for me to say, I am so sorry. But I instead, I said, I did it just like he did it. <laughs> wow. It was such a mistake. Casting. I threw my buddy under the bus. And then I had to... After I realized what kind of what I did, I had to backtrack the whole thing. But um, even before that, I was doing a lot of that kind of thing. I wasn't, I wasn't being a good, I wasn't being a good coworker. I wasn't being a team player. And um, Jocko, Jocko me. would have had a field day with you, kid. Oh yeah. <laughs> he would rip me apart. Oh, he would have. Um, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't do well, man. And uh, uh-huh. the culture was against me. And, and eventually I ended up, uh, I ended up leaving REC. It just, it was not, mm. it was not working out, man. Went to Grid Alternatives over in San Luis Obispo. They were hiring and uh, I got to start leading people, which I had never really done before. Right. And that was really exciting for me because I'm leading people who've never done solar. I'm leading college kids, yeah. um, you know, random people off the street who are trying to get into solar. And I'm leading these people on, on how to install a residential solar system. And I was crushing it. I loved it. Then my old boss called me. He's like, hey, I have an opportunity for you. Some of his opportunities I'd see in the past, and Mark, if you're listening, I'm sorry, um, were a little bit like shady. Like I thought like, oh no, this is another this pyramid is, scheme. Here we go. This is your boss from AM? <laughs> yeah, this is my boss from AM Sun Solar. Basically, he handed me to off to a recruiter and I was very apprehensive. Mm-hmm. That recruitment turned into uh, an airplane ticket up to Sacramento, California. Mm-hmm. And I got to uh, go Valley. interview- uh, it wasn't Grass Valley at the time. They just oh, they had moved, moved to, uh, they'd already moved. Yeah. So they were technically not Roseville. Get the other town up there. It's like Sacramento, Roseville. And Rancho, the, the next Rancho town is Cordova or something. Doesn't matter. I'm not going to remember. It's bad. So anyways, got up there and they did a whole interview with me and a they were whole, like, Hey, like we're going to, you made it through the whole thing. I made it through the whole thing this time. <laughs> yeah, I and I, I dude, I shut my mouth at the GD freaking <laughs> origami. <laughs> Integration. <laughs> and they, Yeah. And they were like, hey, like this is three phase. We understand that you've never done three phase before. Mm-hmm. You've only done, you know, residential um, and, you know, small scale, you know, solar. But, you know, we have these central inverters. They're a lot bigger than what you're working on, a lot higher power class. And there's no room for mistakes. And I'm like, well, that's kind of how I learn. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know if you shared the rest of the story with you. That's really how I, I pick up things. Right. And they're like, no, like we're going to spend a lot of time training you. Lots of on, you know, on the job stuff. And the big thing was I, I technically failed some of their tests. They're like, hey, like draw a three-phase, you know, sine wave. And I'm like, okay, let me try that. I've, I've got ideas, but, and I was close, but they're like, no. <laughs> You're like, hey, let me think back to my calligraphy class and carry the three. But, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do I add a serif to this sine wave? <laughs> and. This is not part of the and test. And so what ended up, this is not part of the test. Uh, they're like, sir, you're drawing like a stick figure. I'm like, yeah, sorry. <laughs> So anyways, they ended up um, asking me, they like moved into communications. They're like, hey, what about, um, do you know how to use a web box? And I'm like, oh, web box? I'm like, yeah, like that's the one thing I'm, I'm, I'm amazing at. Like I can program those things. I know mm-hmm. how to get into them really easy. And web boxes were pretty simple at the time. So it yeah. wasn't a big deal. But I think all for, this- for, I think for the sake of those who are not clear at all. So Sunny, uh, the, the SMA Sunny Boy was one of the first inverter manufacturers to introduce an online 
portal. And so explain how this web box is relevant for those who aren't yeah. computer programmers. Yeah, so the web box uh, essentially sends your data from your inverter out to uh, to the cloud, like like mm-hmm. very early stages cloud. I mean, we're talking, what was it? This was like 2011, very early, yeah, early on cloud. Uh, and you could see your production, you could see if there's any alarms, things like yeah. that. So what was great about these web boxes is they were also controllers. And you could, instead of using it on like a residential side where I was previously, when I went right. to SMA, they're like, hey, we use these in the central inverters. So now... I'm using the same piece of technology, same interface device to program these, uh, these you know, 500 to 800 kilowatt central inverters, wow. which was, that's, that's why they hired me. Like, oh, you know how to do that? That's something we have to train you on. Did you ever, did you ever ask internally, like, who was the person at SMA that figured out that these controllers, aka web boxes, could be used as an interface, like a, a one dimensional interface for homeowners to see how much power they're producing? I don't, I, I never asked. Doesn't that there, seem like a was, genius move? Like somebody figured that oh, yeah. out. There's, dude, early <laughs> SMA, there was a lot of really sharp people there. Yeah. Um, not saying there's not sharp people there now, there definitely is. But back then, man, the people, and maybe it's because I was so close to those people too. Mm. There was some just yeah. brilliant minds that were so working on So this is where you cut problems. your teeth and really got out of kindergarten and started figuring out like there are levels to this game. That's where I got a lot of my training is I, mm-hmm. I was working on central inverters and you have to know you have to fill out job hazard analysis before you start work. You've got yeah. to, you got to hang your lockout tag out stuff. You've got, and that was my first real introduction to safety because the other company yeah. that I was at, you know, safety just wasn't, wasn't as big back then. Dude, when I was doing solar, we didn't have, we didn't have like harnesses yeah. and stuff. Like we, mm. we were hanging off the edge of buildings with no right. protection. Like if I, yeah, man, lucky to be here. Well, some, to be clear, areas. in California, there was a law that required people on roofs to wear uh, fall protection. It just didn't seem to apply to solar industry in the aughts. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. Since then, I know I know for a fact, a lot of those companies have changed their policies. Yeah. And I think it, it didn't really start until I got to grid alternatives is when it, we really started roping off. I mean, RAC, yeah. there, was, there was definitely some roping off as well. And I went through some OSHA classes, um, but it was... It was different back then, man. It was. It's good to see how the industry's evolved because I went to work uh, around the same time you went to um, a little before. When you were at Gridalt, I was at DRI and that's, they were the largest roofing company in California. And I remember laughing to myself because I had walked a, a shake roof that had a 50 foot drop. When I did my, like I did all the uh, site analysis on this school and literally there was a 50 foot drop on the backside of the school. And it was a shake roof. And I had no idea if any of the nails were good or like I had none of that training. And I definitely hadn't tied off. And uh, yeah, so many, so many foibles that we in the solar industry committed in the, in the, in the aughts and early teens that we've thankfully matured. Can now. I share a close call? Yeah, sure. So we were working on this roof and it was two, it was two levels. So you had to get on the first level and then you get up to the second level. And it wasn't like a huge distance. It was probably like five feet to the next roof down. And um, I started sliding I didn't have fall protection. And I, as I started kind of going over the edge, um, I threw my arm up and I was able to kind of like hook and hang. And then I was able to put my feet down on the next level, but that was also sloped. What? It was like, it was that close. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, it wow, was bad, dude. dude. It was close, bad. But close fall, call moment. Fall, yeah, if, you, if, if you're a residential installer, if you're any kind of installer and you're on roofs, wear fall protection. Fall protection it, it'll hook save in. your life. Yeah. Hook in. <laughs> All right. So All right. Uh, I feel like because you have so many amazing stories and, and deep experience, we need like a whole uh, a whole episode where we just talk about the crazy sh- you've seen. But le- let's do for the sake of um, 
I want to make sure that we are able to get into some of the business building stuff. Yep. Tell me what it looked like for you coming out of residential, going into the utility market, which was really starting to boom in 20, 2011. Uh, I mean, what a fortuitous was- time to get there. What were some of the things that that you, what were some of the building blocks you started to put together that when you think back on it, you, I know for a fact that SMA was kind of that critical moment for you in your career, but it probably, it may not, didn't feel like it at the time. What, as you reflect, were those critical blocks that now, and by blocks, I mean like building blocks, like formation that you, you are using day to day now? Yeah. You know, the big thing is, you know, writing everything down, like you can't, you can't go to a meeting and not take notes. You, you, you like, so sure, someone else is taking notes, but oh my God, write your own notes so that you have your thoughts preserved over what you just experienced. That's huge. Otherwise it's for nothing. Um, so that was a big part of it for me. Um, I'd never really had that before. I hadn't really been in office environments uh, to some degree. The safety aspect, like how important safety really is. And a lot of it was just how cool the industry was and, and everything that I was doing. This was like such a cool experience. Like yeah. you got to put on all this gear, you got the safety vest, the boots, the hard hat, like the shade, the goggles and the ear protection. And then you like, you step out of your truck kind of a thing. It was just, it was a really cool experience. Every day was, every day was different, man. And that was, that was really invigorating when you have every day is so different. The other thing I took away from it was uh, finding audiobooks and uh, podcasts because mm-hmm. you were there's so much windshield time that yeah you could just start absorbing information coming in from those sources yeah and when you were at SMA you you eventually worked your way up to training others but you focus a lot of your time on uh, on safety and field service is that right yeah so eventually you get to the point where where you have a lot of experience on some of the legacy units as I grew mm-hmm. with an SMA and new people came on. We had our, our trainer at the time ended up kind of stepping down and I'd already taken a safety role. Um, I, mm-hmm. We'd had a safety guy come through, but he just didn't, he didn't build rapport with people. He didn't, I don't know, it just didn't work out, really work out. And so I, I, I convinced, I, I, I didn't convince, I begged, I begged and pleaded. I was like, please give me the safety job. I know I have no experience in safety, but please let me do it and I will learn. Wow. And SMA, yeah, they actually, uh, they invested in me and they, they, uh, they got a trainer, a safety trainer, and he, he trained me up on what I need to do. Um, and I ended up building out SMA's uh, field uh, field service safety program from that. A great experience, man. So you you were at SMA for a good long while. And then the last five years have been a rocket ship for you in terms of personal and professional growth. Can you walk me through the decisions you had to make along the way from SMA to solar support? In particular, like why leaving, like effectively the market leader to go to, and from Europe to go to a major uh, Chinese competitor and to like how, how those I'll call it next two stops on the path for you really created the leader that you've become. Yeah. Um, leaving SMA, uh, was a really hard decision, but, uh, money, money talks to some degree and the culture was mm. changing. Um, but once I got outside of SMA, that's when I really started growing. Like I, I did mm. grow with an SMA, but that was almost like, like the egg phase. Right. And then once I got out of that, man, your world opens up. I didn't realize what a box my mind was trapped in until I got out of SMA. And it was like, oh my gosh, like look at all these other opportunities that are that yeah. are out there in the market. Um, and and I went to work for Huawei. So the reason I left SMA is, you know, Huawei had just come to the US market. They were touting string inverters as the replacement for central inverters in the utility sector, which mm. was unheard of. Like just like, yeah. everyone's like the cost, like there's no way. Um, I'm I'm a big proponent of Huawei's inverters. Like I I love that technology. Like those things just work. The quality is unmatched. Um, 
you know, it's, it's great, great piece of equipment. So anyways, uh, with that, while I was at Huawei, I got, I got roped into a lot of business meetings, a lot of uh, business development meetings. I got looped into, you know, customer engagements. And I didn't really have that as much at SMA and my, and my other roles. I, mm-hmm. I wasn't, I was with customers, but it was customers at the same level as I was. It wasn't the CEOs. It wasn't the, you know, the senior project managers. It wasn't any of those people that I was dealing with previously. Once I got in the same room with some of these, you know, I mean, we were at Cypress Creek, you know, pitching to Cypress Creek in their early days when they were still behind a coffee shop. Like yeah. they had a, like a pull-up bar on like one of the, not a pull-up bar, like a rock climbing pull-up bar yeah. thing. But, and it was just wild, you know, looking back at, at those meetings and being in the room with basically titans of our industry. Yeah. And I'm a nobody, man. Like I was, was nothing. And I was just there to, yeah, I, I do service for Huawei. That's what I'm here for. It works great. You're not going to need to call me very much. That was my pitch. So I went from there. Uh, the Huawei thing kind of f- fell apart, uh, obviously, as everyone knows. Yeah. And uh, went over to Jinlong. And one of the big things at Jinlong that really changed for me is uh, at the time, Susanna, who was uh, you know running that group, she basically said, look, do things how you want to do it. Yeah. This was my opportunity to look at everything I'd done at SMA, everything I'd done at, uh, at Huawei is from a service perspective and do it my way. That's a lot of, uh, that's a lot of responsibility and a lot of, uh, opportunity to take that, uh, take all of the training and package it in a way where you don't have any real oversight. They're expecting that, you know, what you're doing now. Yeah. And, and it wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't just the training on the service side. It was, you know, what happens when someone calls on the phone? When I, when mm. I first started at Jinlong, they had a, you know, a cell phone essentially that you could, you could tra- you could forward the calls to someone else. And that was yeah. it. Like that was, and they had, they had a ticketing system too. That was pretty, uh, pretty decent. Yeah. But once I got there, I, I revamped that ticketing system, uh, built a lot of automations. And, uh, and, and then I, I kind of sat for a bit because I, I made my life really easy by building all these systems and platforms and, and reusable material. I had mm. like a canned, canned, uh, conversation. So someone says something, I'm like, that's this one. And it's yeah. just an automated response. Um, so it was great. Yeah. But the issue was. I had all this free time now. And, and I got, I got a little bit bored to some degree. I got comfortable. I kept getting phone calls from people who had Huawei equipment. I kept getting phone calls, from people who had SMA equipment and they were complaining about situations and problems. And one day me and uh, my co-founder Cliff, uh, he's a good friend of mine. We worked at SMA for a long time. Um, and his fiance or his now fiance, were sitting in a, in a booth with me at Chili's and we're discussing it. He's like, Oh, how do you like what you're doing now? I'm like, well, I'm like, here's, here's all the issues and that I'm getting from other people that are complaining about, you know, past stuff and they want help, but I don't, I don't want to help them for free. Right. And we just started really discussing that. And that's when kind of solar support was born. We look at that moment and we say, that's when we founded solar support. We were looking at how can we help these people who, you know, aren't getting the service that they, they expect from their OEMs. How can we help them um, solve their issues? And, uh, you know, how can we be a value to them? And that was, that was the catalyst for solar support right there. So I'm going to back out to 20, I think early 2019, maybe late 2018 and uh, share a story. I remember getting a message from this guy, Austin Tabor, and I looked his LinkedIn up and I could see that you were in Charleston, South Carolina. And for those who are somehow unfamiliar, I'm from South Carolina and it's kind of one of these things that we carry with us, unless you're from California, uh, in the in the solar industry, at least, if you see like people in your industry in you know, South Carolina or Missouri or Arkansas, you kind of have to think to yourself, what the heck are they doing? Like, there's no market there. Why in the world? 
here's somebody who probably doesn't know anything about solar wanting to reach out and connect. And, but I was very curious. I'm like, I want to get to know people in my home state because I'm curious how the industry is uh, evolving there. And we get on the phone and I don't know if you remember this, but we didn't talk at all about, uh, in fact, I think you may, it may have been the first time you reached out for a little bit of kind of a shot across the bow of like a clarity call. I kind of, I'd like to talk to you about what I'm thinking of doing. And you presented an opportunity or an idea that you'd sort of wrapped up as like, this is what we're doing at Solar Support that I thought was kind of fun and genius. But as I look at your business right now, in some way it's probably incorporated, but I don't ever hear you guys talk about it. And, and you said effectively, do you know how like all of these old units are really hard to service and companies like Strata Solar have field, people in the field who don't know how to service these older units and they don't know where the manuals are. Well, we've built basically a database that allows people to subscribe and have access to all of the support documentation for all of the equipment that's ever been produced uh, on the inverter side of the world. And I thought, wow, that's such a simple yet novel concept. But that was like, that was my vision or my, my understanding of solar support. When I first met you, it was like, here's this fun guy working at Jin Long, who on the side is going to build this subscription business for companies like Cypress and Strata to have access to this documentation that he's essentially like, I don't know if he has uh, sucked it in from the internet or, you know, manually taken photos of the things and the manuals and like uploaded them. But I've enjoyed watching how you have tested ideas like that. How do you think about in your early phase of determining what solar support was about. How, how did you think about the idea of productizing your knowledge? Uh, the first thing I realized is I can prevent truck rolls and truck rolls are crazy expensive. So a truck roll is essentially when you're sending someone out to go solve an issue out in the field. Uh, that mm. It could be, you know, a technician, it could be an electrician, just someone out there going to fix the problem. Typically they're not very close to the office either. No, you're yeah. talking... If residential truck rolls where you have an office usually closer, you're looking at anywhere from two hundred to four hundred dollars roughly. Wow. If it's if you're sending if you're sending one dude, if you're sending two dudes, you know, add twenty percent. Uh-huh. On the utility side and even large commercial side, the sites are, you know, bigger, they're further apart. Um, it's anywhere from eight hundred dollars to twelve hundred dollars mm-hmm. just to send that truck, you know, get it rolling, get it out there. My goodness. Yeah. So in so, context, for a company like, and I'm not saying Strata's numbers or, or Cypress, but since you brought up Cypress is one of the examples of companies that you worked with early on, like for a company like that, that's doing projects all across the United States and they have crews in, in lots of different places and projects in different stages of development, how many service calls or truck rolls are they typically doing in a month? Oh, that's that's a great question, man. It's, it's, it's a lot. It's probably, it's probably over 100 I mean, in all, in all actuality. Yeah, so we're talking, talking a lot of money. We're talking, wow. Okay. So we're talking over a hundred grand a month. You, you could be spending frivolously because you don't yeah. have enough, uh, because you don't have enough of what you had in your mind as the way to prevent this. Okay. So t- I get it now. Um, so yeah. This is a real acute problem and you had a way to put a tourniquet on it. Yeah. So the idea was, you know, why would you roll a truck out there? If say a central inverter, for example, and you know, you can, you can look at data and you can kind of you know, guesstimate what's wrong. Why would you go out there without that part? Mm. Like, even if that means waiting two or three days before you have right. the part, because once you get out there, you know, the error code and you know, the likelihood that's going to, is going to, it's going to be a DC contactor, for example. Why would you roll a truck without that DC contactor in hand? Mm. Unless, unless you think you could fix it, you know, a short-term fix of some kind, yeah. which is sure. It's possible. Wire. Yeah. I've seen it. 
so my goal was like, if I build, if I build this, they will come. Uh-huh. And so we, we kind of built the bones of that whole knowledge base and it, it worked. It, it, it did serve its purpose, but, um, you get a lot of pushback from people, uh, essentially not wanting to share information. You know, once yeah. you develop something, they're like, so that's just ours, right? It's like, no, we're going to share it with everyone, man. This is for the good of the industry. The knowledge base also tried to help predict what failures might be occurring given certain signs, right? Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes, exactly. Interesting. Exactly. And, and just so, just so everyone's aware here, like that knowledge base is still up and going. Um, I'd love if people want to help contribute to it. <laughs> yeah. Um, most of it right now is geared towards SMA central inverters. And yeah, because there's a, so many a, problems. <laughs> so many, I mean, that's the issue, right? That was the other problem with my problems. It's like, these are the most reliable inverters on the market. So like, anyways. And also, they had, the, they, had, they had a gigantic market share. So it's a, oh, from yeah. a business building perspective, candidly, and this is something that I really want to put a pin in is that uh, a lot of folks will take the very narrow field they're in and say, okay, I can fix this problem. But the question is like, how big is the market that you can serve? And in mm. Austin's case, it was mm, two thirds of the market, right? It, it was by like by a landslide, the most installed inverter in North America oh, yeah. at the time that you were stepping out to try and figure out how to solve some of the field issues that you were seeing and that Cliff was seeing. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's, that's, that's accurate, man. Cliff was still at SMA this time, right? Yeah. Cliff was still at SMA. Um, okay. and he, you know, he wasn't even, he wasn't even twinkling my eye yet. I mean, he was, we, we discussed this, we talked yeah. about putting it together, but I he had an ally. He was board. an ally. He was just, a, yeah, he was he an was ally. F- mm-hmm. He believed in what we were doing. Um, oh, he, he believed supported in you. me. Oh yeah, he did. Um, he, I, I had all my first kind of pitches before I, I did it to customers. I ran it by Cliff. Uh, I love it. Just, yeah, just get his feedback. But yeah, Cliff stepped out of SMA, I don't know, about eight or nine months after, after I'd found a solar support. Um, and he joined us for a couple of weeks and then, um, and then went to work with, uh, with, a, with another company for a while. Cause it's hard being in that entrepreneurial space and, and being like, Hey, we don't have a pipeline. You know, how are we going to pay you a big salary, you know, that you deserve clearly, uh, without, without having that pipeline. So that was tough. That was really tough. So you had your full time, by the way, for those who maybe aren't keeping up because I know too much about the story. You're full-time at Jinlong, but you came up with this idea to do solar support on the side because you basically automated your way into a part-time job, right? Where And not not you were getting paid full-time, but you had all this bandwidth and there just weren't enough things to, not, weren't enough moles to whack. You've got all these creative ideas. At what point did it start to become clear to you that this this actual little thing you were doing on the side was starting to take up more of your time than just a side gig? It was probably mid 2019. Um, mm-hmm. Before that, it was very slow, and I could outsource a lot of it. Um, but mid 2019, uh, we really started getting some traction. I used all my vacation time; like I literally had no more vacation time left um, to do like site visits or whatever else I needed to. And it was a- about at that time that I kind of started talking to to Jin Long and saying, "Hey, like I might be doing something else." I, I was very open with him. I said, "This is what I'm doing." You know, I'm moonlighting here and they were okay with it as long as, you know, no, no competition kind of a thing. But I think it's very important that if anyone is planning on doing something like this, that you're upfront with your employer, uh, because if they find out and you didn't tell them about what you were doing, uh, they're going to be pretty upset. So just, uh, just a word of warning to the wise. Well, that's actually a really good, a good point, because I think that it's not every case where an entrepreneur has an opportunity to make the pivot that you were able to make. But when, but I think it's more common than folks would realize. Uh, I like to say, and, and I know you've heard me say this, like we all choose to run, you know, Austin Tabor Inc. or, or Nico Johnson Inc. as a sole source entity or 
as a consulting practice uh, or figure out what our model is. And most of us who are at some point in our careers, employees have consciously or unconsciously chosen to sole source all of our productivity and time to one client. You were an employee at Jinlong and you started to get these other gigs. How did you navigate the tension of the desire to be an entrepreneur with the obligation of being a good fiduciary of your time and the resources you've been entrusted with at Genlong? I built systems. I mean, mm-hmm. that, that's the only way you can do it. Um, if you try and live every single day as if it's just a new day and you're going to write your to-do list today, it's not going to work. I sacrificed a lot, man. I, I, I did not want to let Genlong down. And I also, mm-hmm. I could see what was happening with solar support. And I was like, I can't let this go. Um, I, I worked so much. And, and you make sacrifices when you do that. Um, the biggest thing I, I like to tell other entrepreneurs who are just starting off is I'm like, make time for yourself. Like, don't just yeah. live in that grind. You know, you have to make time for yourself because something else in your life will, sacri- will be sacrificed, either your health or your family. Um, so you, you have to figure that part out. And I, I didn't. I, uh, I just gr- ground myself down to the bone to the point of like, I was like, how do I get an edge? Like, how much more coffee do I have to drink to get this edge that I need? You were drinking a lot of coffee. I drink a lot of coffee. You were. Yeah. You may, maybe you still are, but um, <laughs> a little bit. This is one thing. But one of, you just so the thing that you said, your answer was I built systems. I'd like for you to elaborate on that. And I'd particularly like for I'd like to understand where did this understanding of how systems can liberate you come from? But can you answer that question first? And then uh, so where did this idea of systems will save me come from? And then uh, part two is. Um, what, what does that look like to build systems? Can you give a tangible example of a system that actually allowed you to remain in good standing and in good faith with Genlong, your then full-time employer? Yeah, there's tons of apps out there uh, that you can integrate into your, your workflow. I used one that did, was like an automatic time tracker. So I knew how much time I was spending at Genlong, how much time I was spending at Solar Support, and I could break that down. So if I was ever questioned, I could say, look, this is how much time I've, I've actually spent and I've been documenting mm-hmm. it to make sure... And then also in parallel and tandem with that, I was doing just, these are, these are my solar support projects. These are my Jinlong projects. These are the due dates on them. Um, and I, I used Trello at the time. I had a very complex Trello setup where I was like, all right, this board's for Jinlong, this board's for solar support. And then this is my personal board. I had them all linked with automation. So when I did certain things, it would transfer over to the other boards. And anyways, it was a whole thing. Yeah. Um, but but building those systems, and what I mean by that, sorry, let me yeah. let me explain this part. This Go is for it. this is yeah. this is how you do it. Mm-hmm. What are you doing every day that that's mindless that you need to rem- that you essentially need to remember or create a checklist for? Um, like if you're on a job site, you know you're going to do a JHA, you know you're going to do a lockout tagout kind of a thing, you know that you're going to do uh, your field inspection. Um, but what else can you add to that checklist? And like I would say, um, photographs. I would add like, hey, take take two photographs while you're out there. Now you've got a checklist. You don't need to remember what you have to do that day. You've got a checklist. You just follow the checklist. Boom, that task is done. And, and that's what I essentially did is I, I had uh, weekly reports I had to do. So I said, you go here, you get this information, and you build the report this way. And then I started to be able to leverage. I started to be able to outsource that kind of work to assistance, to people on. Uh, there's a platform called Upwork that you can hire you know, temporary help on. I would go and find people that could essentially be a, another resource for me and, and increase my bandwidth. And they weren't crazy expensive and, and solar support could pay for it. And that really helped me stay on top of what I was, what I was doing with Jinlong. So two questions. What was the, the time tracker tool? I think it's called memory.ai now. 
but it uh, it, go, it used to go by Timely. Oh right, got it. Okay, yeah. I remember. I remember that that tool. I, I've used a number of them, and and this is also. Uh, it's kind of like, um, well, it's just one of those tools that you install and it kind of tracks what apps you're using on your computer. But how do yep. you justify or how do you actually sync the things you're not doing on your computer, the phone calls, the field work? I mean, you you know what my desktop situation looks like. So mm-hmm. um, uh, basically what I did is I I said, uh, you know, this ha- this these screens over here are hooked up to my laptop, to my, uh, mm-hmm. my Jinlong laptop. These screens over here are to my my personal PC. And I would just make sure that when I was doing solar support work, I was over here. When I was doing Jinlong work, I was over here. I, hang on. I, it seems simple to you, but I don't think, I want to make sure folks listen and hear this. This for me is a genius move, okay? It, you you literally, so mo, sorry, most of us will just say, okay, well, I, I don't like task switching or I don't like computer switching. You literally set up two separate stations that were like physical offices effectively, you know, even though they were side by side, you would move one foot to the right and you'd be in the solar support office, one foot to the left, you're in the Genlong office. I mean, this is a material implementation tactic that I had, I've never seen anyone else do just for your edification. I think it's an absolutely genius move because a lot of us can hear you say, I use this time tracker, but there are details that get lost in that of like, you know, Oh, well he was using two different computers. Okay. And you're, so the time track was on my cell phone too. So when I was on my cell phone, that was my only issue is I, mm-hmm. I'd had two cell phones before and I didn't want to go down that path. So I did one cell phone. I, I, had, I had a system. I was like, okay, on, on Friday afternoons, I go through my, my time logs and I make sure everything looks good. Um, I tried to do it actually at the end of every day. And then Fridays was my catch-all. If I missed anything, yeah. um, Friday, I'd just re-review it, make sure it was good. And then uh, my timesheet was done. Wow. Uh, I tried that so many times as a consultant to like try to figure out how to automate my timesheet and expense reports. And uh, my my mind just doesn't think like yours. It's one of the reasons that I just enjoy so much getting on the phone with you. And uh, I've learned so much about ClickUp, a tool that you taught me how to use and Integromat and so many things. So uh, I can't wait for the day that you actually get to launch the YouTube channel that I know you'd so desire to do. Because you're a teacher. You really are a teacher. You love to help people optimize their life. and, and And you do it through the lens that you've optimized your own life. Now, uh, there's some things that we can share about the phenomenal success you've had in solar support and some things we can't share. But before we get there, one of the things that I wanted to actually tag, tap on as well is you are one of those folks that I've, I've seen go through the, the trial and error of hiring assistants. Mm. The question I've had for you in the past and I have for you now is how do you trust someone who has no idea what's happening in the solar or, or field service industry with effectively a critical path task that your client's paying you for. So it turns out all those checklists um, that I had early on, not even checklists, but all of the uh, documentation that I'd put together early on, like, you know, this is how you do this, this is how you do this, this is the next steps, essentially documentation for my workflow. Mm -hmm. That was able to translate over to my assistants. I was able to put together like wikis for my assistants and say, Mm -hmm. this is is how you, this is a monthly report for Jinlong. This is how you fill it out. This is information you need to add. This is what it should look like when you're done. And it was just like, okay, is the deliverable done the way I asked? Nope. Go back to the documentation, make it right. Um, yeah. There's a lot of trial and error there. But I think more importantly than that is having a, a vetting process that's, that's maybe a little bit eccentric, maybe a little bit weird. Um, and, and Chelsea, you know, Chelsea, Chelsea's my, uh, my director of operations, but started off as my executive <laughs> assistant. And I had a She's... really crazy vetting process. I was like, yeah. 
here's the long job description. In the middle, I'd be like, make sure when you respond to this job description, you include a creative use of the phrase meatballs and spaghetti sauce. And she was one of two who replied and, uh, and read the whole post and put that in there. Yeah, this is the equivalent of brown and M&Ms, right? Like this is the, how are people paying attention to details? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with the brown for. M&Ms? Right. Uh, you, yeah, sorry. Uh, so I, I can't remember if it was Rolling Stones or it was one of these big bands that, and on the writer, uh, I was in the music industry for a long time. So on the writer, which is basically the document you get at the venue ahead of a band coming in that tells you everything you have to do for the band, it would say, we, we want a bowl. It was like in the dressing room of the lead singer. Let's say Mick Jagger. I don't remember who it was. Somebody's probably going to message me and correct me. That's totally cool, actually. Uh, call me out on, on Twitter. But it effectively said, we want a bowl of M&Ms. Take out all the brown M&Ms. Take out all the brown M&Ms. And like literally they would go ballistic. It, and the, but they, the thing is, like if they had brown M&Ms, it meant they had to now think about what other details were missed on the rider. Dude. It's a litmus test. It is. It is. And, and having something, and I, it, it's grown since then. I've got like a, <laughs> so so that was the, this idea. <laughs> that whole idea grew into like an actual form. And if, if we post a job description, like we're not even going to look at their information. We say, all right, here's the link. Go fill out this document. If you want to be, if you want to be on board. And that document is a bunch of, you know, extremely detailed questions. Cause we want to see where are people at when they come into our, into our group, yeah. where are their heads at? Are they a good fit? Um, and that, uh, can we can we talk about the fifty percent rule? Yes, <laughs> please. My, my new favorite thing. Um, so I didn't know I was doing this, but um, the idea is, and this comes from uh, Up the Organization, which is a book by I can't remember his name now. That's terrible. It's like the biggest part. The biggest part of this. Uh, basically, what he says is, if you can find a good person where you're like, this is this is a detailed oriented individual. They're great at what they can do, but they're missing like the like fifty percent of the, the key task, what you need them to do, but they can do the other 50%, hire that person because they mm. will invest the time to learn the rest because you had faith in them because they have, they're driven and they have faith in themselves and they yeah. don't want to fail. They won't let themselves oh, fail. That's great. 50%. So Alex on my team, you've, you've watched him become that person. And I watched mm-hmm. Chelsea become that person. She's savage, by the way, you have one of the best ops managers in the industry. Uh, Chelsea, we love you. Uh, up the organization, how to stop the corporation from stifling people and strangling profits by Robert Townsend and Warren Bennis. We will definitely link to that in the show notes. Okay. So the 50% rule allowed you to filter out the people who weren't going to learn the other 50%, but you didn't know that you were doing this. You read the book or, and it was kind of a revelation for you. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Um, but yeah, like the, the flip side of that is you hire someone that comes in at a much higher salary and they, they're already, uh, they're yeah. already built, they're already pre-charged. Um, and they might have other expectations. They, they're just not, and maybe they're not as hungry and they're just looking for, all right, am I making more money here? Because you're poaching people essentially. You're probably familiar with Energy Toolbase. I mean, nearly 1500 organizations worldwide utilize ETB developer to quantify the savings and economics of their projects. But did you know that ETB provides a comprehensive suite of software products to help model control and monitor solar and energy storage projects all in one platform. That's right. I know you're probably familiar with their industry leading modeling, but controls, monitoring. Yeah. Acumen EMS software is actually fully integrated with energy storage giants like BYD, Delta, Dynapower, and Sokomek, leveraging AI and machine learning to forecast, control, and optimally discharge energy storage systems operating in the field. Or maybe you are looking for ETB monitor 
to gain complete transparency into the operational performance and true dollar savings of your operating fleet? Well, if I were you, I'd schedule a Zoom with one of ETB's knowledgeable account managers. You can mention Suncast when you sign up for your free trial and you get a 30-day extended free trial. You can also just click on the tool-based logo at mysuncast.com or in our newsletters or right there in the description of today's episode in whatever app you're listening to this on to take full advantage of this free trial. Don't wait. Hey, pardon the interruption, but I wanted to just let you know how much of an impact you have on Suncast. Yeah, you. Thank you for clicking play. Without you, this show is just me shouting into the void. But there's still people who don't even know about Suncast. I know. I can hardly believe it myself. (laughs) But that's where you can help me yet again. There's a simple way that you can show some love and help others discover the show. If you cruise over to www.ratethispodcast.com forward slash suncast. I'd love it if you would leave a five-star rating and enthusiastic review. That's possibly the single kindest thing that you could do for me today. So if the show has helped, inspired, or even entertained you at all, I'd love it if you would head over to ratethispodcast.com forward slash suncast and give me a virtual two thumbs up. All right, back to today's episode. Well, Austin, I feel like I could dig so uh, so many uh, jewels from your story because I know your story really well. But I think that it might be unfair to the listener because they don't necessarily understand or know why your story really well. So let me ask a slightly different question. Sometime around the, I think it was summer or early fall. It must have been summer because we hung out in, uh, in Salt Lake City 2019 at, at SPI uh, and we had already sort of been developing a friendship at that point. So sometime in this early summer, I feel of 2019, you reached out. Why'd you reach out to me? And what what were your goals there? Dude, I love the podcast. I know that sounds like (laughs) fanboyish, but at the time I was like, I I love the podcast. I love listening to it. I'm, I'm, I wanted to like show, like show you too, that like, Hey, I love what you're doing. Please don't stop. Like make sure you continue to do this. Um, and then you. also, you know, yeah, you're welcome. And then from the flip side of that, for my for my own gain, because obviously, you know, nothing's altruistic in this world, even I wish it was. Um, uh-huh. I I wanted validation. I mean, in all yeah. honesty, I was like, this is my idea. This is what I'm trying to do. What do you, What do you think? I mean, you're you're an industry expert. You you talk to all these you know CEOs and executives. I'd love to hear your opinion on it. About that time, you know, you and me started reaching out. We did the SPI thing. Um, I got to the point where um, I I really need I needed help. Um, I was struggling. Uh, it was becoming too much, right? I had Jinlong, I had solar support and I had these systems that were working. Uh, but about that same time, I, uh, I broke my system and the work it would have required to put it back together was just, it was arduous to say the, the least. And that's about the time you and I started working together, uh, you know, in a, in a, you know, like a coaching relationship. And, and dude, I, I can't even tell you how much that's, that's benefited me to, uh, to so many degrees. Um, I mean, just getting me, taking me to like a physical system away from like, uh, you took me away from ClickUp to some degree, but I'm still in ClickUp. But uh, I started bullet journaling. You shared a, a awesome bullet journal with me and I started getting started. I started really building that out into a, a whole system now. And then the biggest thing um, I think is that you, you said this thing to me, it was on an Instagram post, right? Like I just posted this and I'm like, I said something about like not being a CEO. Like I don't, I don't look the part like a CEO. And you said, but, but dude, you are a CEO. And I was, I was lacking a lot of self-confidence at the time. And, and that really, those words right there really inspired me to, 
to drive and be like, oh, he's right. I am like, let's, let's really make this happen. And and at that point too, I was looking at how do I, how do I take this full time? How do I leave Jin Long? And I, dude, I would not have gotten there without you. I would not have, I would not be in the place I'm in right now if I didn't have, um, you know, the, your backing and, and your recommendations and, and just telling me to read books. Readers, <laughs> readers are leaders. Yeah, you that's were right. telling me that stuff. Like, and you were saying on the podcast, all those books, yeah. man, I started diving into them and just getting more and more excited about entrepreneurship mm. and, and developing the business. And, and also at the same time, you start getting those other ideas. You're like, what about that business? What about that business? Yeah. You gotta shut those down. Yeah. You've, you've got a really great filter for being able to focus on what you uniquely can contribute. And what I saw in you was an entrepreneur trapped in a sole source contract. And we had that conversation in October and uh, formalized our coaching relationship in November. And, uh, and we really had a fruitful run. But the thing that I recognized was that you, like many, were struggling as an entrepreneur to, de- to determine when and how you would make your escape. The thing that I'm most impressed by though, and I feel others would benefit from hearing is how you were able to conceptualize and convert Jen Long from being an employer to a client. It wasn't the initial plan, but I knew that if I left Jen Long, you couldn't just backfill me with like another service engineer and everything mm. would be fine because I know the systems I built and, and they need maintenance. They need, they need the love and touch to make sure it flows good. And so I had a lot of really difficult conversations with, uh, with uh, the general manager at the time, Susanna. And um, I essentially said, said to her like, Hey, like I, I need to go do this, but I don't want to mm-hmm. leave Jin Long hanging. Here's my idea. Um, I think the cost savings are about the same either way. And I, I put costs in there. Like I was transparent. I'm like, these are my costs. These are your costs. This mm-hmm. is the amount of profit I'm looking to make. I laid everything out and um, they went for it. They said, yeah, that sounds great. We, we don't want to lose yeah. you. We don't want to lose your experience. Um, we'd love for you to train the next batch of people coming. And um, we're still, we're still operating Jin Long service department, um, you know, up, up to this point. So that's amazing. They're still a client yeah. um, of fully like almost two years on now. So do yeah. you, uh, do you remember the moment where you decided to put a date on it? Yeah. You, you forced me to, <laughs> you were like, you need to put a date on this thing. And I'm like, a date, date means a commitment. I can't put a commitment on this yet. Your mind. Yeah. Uh, but we did. I think it was like April. I think we said April 1st. We said like April fool's day. April 1st. That's I was right. Like, ah, good one. Um, yeah. but we, but it, it took a little bit longer than that, you know, and, and it was hard to, uh, you know, pushing Jin Long and being like, Hey, this is a date. It's coming. It's coming. Mm-hmm. Are we good to go? Are we good to go? And it lagged by about, uh, by about 15 days or so, but it happened, uh, you know, yeah. right, right in April. Um, and we made the leap and, you know, it wasn't as big a leap because, you know, you're, you're basically kind of propped up, uh, to some degree, mm-hmm. but our, but our sales at that point, were just going nuts. So, mm-hmm. um, it, it definitely worked out. Uh, and, and let and also do the biggest piece too, is it let me leverage more of my team to help Jin Long. I could now pull in people who were doing other things and whose plates weren't completely full to help me with Jin Long stuff and, and make sure we're, we're delivering at a high level at that, uh, yeah. on that customer. One of the things that I've enjoyed watching as in your growth and maturity and just the rocket ship that has become solar support is uh, you internalized the Benjamin Franklin tome. If you fail to plan, you, you're planning to fail. Um, and I, I've watched how you've taken the lessons from not only our coaching, but 
the many books that you have internalized and you've built a robust business out of what was, you know, a, a very productive side hustle. I remember just being stunned at kind of the traction that you had achieved as an employee at another company and your internal struggle of still doubting yourself as a leader and doubting the business as a vehicle that you could drive. Do you remember beyond that, any other uh, real or esoteric struggles that you dealt with in 2020, uh, ironically, as we're going into the pandemic, but that you, you dealt with as you began to extricate yourself from that employee mindset and become an entrepreneur? Man, I, I can't, I mean, this is kind of for other entrepreneurs as well, but um, one of the things that you said to me, and this is maybe something we don't dive into too much, but you're like, man, I really think you should go uh, get some like psychiatric help. <laughs> and uh, you didn't say it exactly like that. You Not said it very words, tactfully yeah. because I was using you like yeah. that in our coaching relationship. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, great, great idea. And I am so glad I did, man. Like it, if you are struggling at all with anything, I highly recommend just going to get that help before, because you have to fix yourself before you can really work on your business. You have to develop yourself and, and grow yourself consistently, constantly. You have to be uncomfortable in order to really succeed. And that's, I wouldn't have done My wife had been telling me for years. She's like, you really should yeah. go see someone. And, uh, you know, she's like, oh, Nico told you. Nico said you should you. go see someone. Now you're going to go see someone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But hey, well, actually this, we'll bring this back to the conversation we had about your dad telling you to go get a trade. And you were like, no, I'm going to go to art school. It often is that way in our lives, right? The people that are closest to us we are dismissive of their recommendations and suggestions. Yeah. And on the flip side, the people that we respect or admire, we can sometimes um, like misconstrue the relationship as, and, and want to uh, have that person or group of persons help us with um, validation, as you pointed out. And, and I, I, you know, I saw in you a guy who had a lot of possibility and a, just so much talent. And you, in many ways, were getting in your way, getting your own way because you were allowing some pretty deep um, emotional wounds and some sort of deep fears that were, you know, sort of incubated from experiences in your past. And uh, I wasn't able to help you with that. I was able to identify it and see you there and and hold, hold space for you. But I'm really proud of you for making the decision. And I've seen how it's benefited your marriage seen how it's benefited your relationship with your co-founders and employees. Um, but more importantly, I've watched you become uh, sort of come full circle to be a very uh, happy and enjoyable human being. And there was a period of time, like all of us go through where you were miserable and, and oh, yeah. you were miserable despite the money you were making, despite the oh, yeah. success on the outside, you were just- Money doesn't buy miserable. happiness. <laughs> it does not. It does not. Uh, you know, look, one last piece I want to add to that real quick, man. Um, mm. One of the things that I was taught early on was that bad, they always said bad association spoils useful habits. That was like just beat into me as a kid. Uh I never got it, of course. But reaching out to you, part of that is I want to surround myself with other entrepreneurs. I want to surround Mm -hmm. myself with people who who want to grow, who want to develop what they're working on in themselves. Dude, and that's that's everything. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. once you surround yourself with entrepreneurs. It's, it's what's yeah. the next new business opportunity? How are That's you doing right. this? What can you do? How are you managing this? I mean, just this conversation right now, how we're feeding off each other. You're like, Hey, can you send me that? Of course I can. Yeah. Like that's, yeah. that's the beauty that's the of beauty. choosing. Yeah. Choosing who you're going to associate with it. 
it that's will the mastermind. determine who you are. Yeah. yeah. It's the mastermind, whether it's small or big, whether it's intimate or, um, or superficial. Jim Rohn says, you're the, you're the average of the five people you surround yourself with. Candidly, there were times where I would say to you, and I've said to others, like, you need to stop talking to this person. Mm-hmm. You need to stop associating in this circle. Uh, and that's as a coach, like that's part of my job is to see you and hold space for the possibility of who you can become and not let you get sort of wallow in the self-pity of who you are being. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, I think that you did an amazing job and I'm really, uh, I, I look forward to when we can, when we can formally talk about some of the unbelievable things that are happening in your life right now. What are one or two uh, kind of headaches as an entrepreneur that you as a leader now standing in like the CEO role struggle with, or have a, you know, continually have to correct or address? Closed minds, hands down. Mm-hmm. Just, and what I mean by that is, you know, you can find a thousand reasons why something can't be done. You can sit there and say, it can't be done because of this, because of this, because of this. But on the flip side of that, I bet you, if you had turned your mind a different direction, you could have come up with a thousand reasons why it could have been done. So for me, just have people have open minds about new ideas and, and actually don't just, when you hear something new, just like, ah, kill it, like listen to it and explore it before you shut it down. Cause you can, you can sit back and what they, they call it, like having a think, you can just sit back, close your eyes and just your mind is amazing. You can play out yeah. that idea in your mind in a hundred different scenarios. So I just, I tell people don't have a closed mind. If you have a problem, you know, definitely work on it yourself first um, and then bring it to to someone else before you start and and have like a rough idea for a solution. I think maybe this might work. And they might say, oh, yeah. I've tried that. Try this instead. Um, so close minds, hands down, the biggest issue I have. You remind me of so many things that um, that I share in, in our coaching relationship. One of them is uh, I try to help entrepreneurs develop a mindfulness practice, help help you cultivate a, a, an ability to stop and and be present in your head. Uh, one of the reasons is I came across this quote from Blaise Pascal, the French philosopher that says all of humanity's problems come from or stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. And as entrepreneurs, especially given the Jim Rohn quote, we want to surround ourselves with smart people. But a lot of the reason that we do it is for the same reason you called me to, to work with you. You want validation and you don't trust your own instincts. Uh, you know, I would concur with you that so many of our team members as we're growing businesses uh, they see a door as already closed or they watch it close and they can't fathom that there's another good opportunity or another door that's going to open. Uh, and it's our job to stand in that place of uh, of confidence with them and help them cultivate an open mindset, right? Rather than a closed mindset. Another yeah. great book by Carol Dweck, by the way, Mindset. Tell me something that is true for you that few people agree with you on. Uh, uh, I, I care too much about people, um, but- the, the biggest thing I really want to talk about is sharing information. Um, our mm. industry is, I mean, we're all tight. It's an incestuous industry. We all know each other. Everyone knows each other. It's crazy. But no one really shares. All, all the companies are so, are so legalistic and, and they don't want to share information that could literally be game-changing. I mean, we've seen, yeah. uh, we've seen you know, documents come from you know, an OEM to, to one company for, for an issue they had. And we've seen this, a different document go to a different company for the same issue that they had. Like two different people came up with two different reports and sent it out. It's like, like what? Inside the same company? Yeah, inside the same company sent out two different, uh, uh, you know, documents and they're both different, but address the same issue. Mm. And it's like, when you see that and you have the expertise, you know, I wish these 
other entities would would talk to each other. I wish they would, you know, develop those relationships and not just the CEOs talking, but collaboration yeah. on on a different level where it's not like, oh, well, what's the new product going to be? It's like, no, let's partner together, get together to make a better product that will fit the industry's needs and ensure the yeah. solar industry, not just solar, but renewables just keeps growing and and is stable. That's what I really want to see. That's the thing that, dude, and when I say stuff like that, like our our online portal for solar support, we have all this documentation. When I bring that stuff up, people are like, You're you're crazy. Why are you why are you giving away right. information? Like how like that's, yeah. that's insane. That's you're giving away for this free. Like you can't do that. People get crazy about it. And I'm like, it works. Like this is how you demonstrate expertise. This is benefiting tons of people and saving tons of money. I so agree with you. And we I I mean, we know that we're in vehement. Uh, alignment uh, and agreement on this, but, uh, or as a friend of mine used to say, violent agreement. You were the first person I met, not probably, probably definitely not the first person to talk about something like this. But you were the first person I met who was actively reverse engineering products and like saving people thousands and thousands of dollars and like the 3D printing stuff. Can you tell me a bit about like how uh, you see the industry evolving in that way in the, in the sense, in that sense of like really reinventing the way we think and, and hold each other to that collaborative standard? Yeah. Um, I mean, we've done, we've done so many interesting projects, uh, but yeah, I mean, the, the biggest challenge out there right now is uh, a lot of OEMs, they, they password protect everything and they say, you know, sorry, you need to spend, you know, 10 grand for this specialized training so we can give you mm-hmm. the password that gives you access to everything. It's just, it's like, what? Like I bought this piece of equipment. I should be able to work on it. Like I own this, like you don't own this yeah. anymore. You sold it to me. Uh, and yeah. you see that you see that with you know cars now you see it with cell phones um, and the inverter manufacturers and the and the tracker manufacturers they're all doing that to some degree and I I know that it's they're doing that because they're you know trying to increase profits and everything but I I, I disagree with that with that strategy I, I think we should be sharing and educating in our industry not uh, withholding information because you didn't pay me enough well to that end what are you guys doing differently in particular in the asset management, uh, O&M restoration field. What are you doing differently? Why are you standing out right now in a crowded space? Um, we're, we're taking the jobs that no one else wants to do. <laughs> we're, uh, you know, I mean, when you do have a, you know, disaster, you have a repowering situation um, where you need to get rid of the- What's repowering mean? So you have a site that's an asset that's underperforming to some degree. And that could be, that could be because of, you know, the modules out there are failing. It could be because the inverter is going bad. Um, it could be that a hurricane came through your job site and, you know, half your modules are gone. It could be anything along those mm-hmm. lines. And so what we do is we come in and we say, this is this is the best solution to get your plant back up and running. Here's an estimate of the costs that we're seeing. Let us know if you'd like to like us to go grab some quotes from some uh, developers out there. And then we work with the developers to help uh, essentially build out that uh, that solution. We will we work with, uh, you know, the end customer, we work with the EPC to really develop uh, the repowering plan. You actually talk a lot about that in the white paper you guys created. I remember when we did the uh, the summit, uh, which you guys, thank you, sponsored, you did a little webinar on the paper you did called Back in the Clear. Uh, I, I actually have a link that is restricted on Energy Central. Would you be willing to share that or, or similar kind of uh, thought leadership yeah. that you guys have created that helps folks kind of get their head around yeah. This, yeah. this aspect of the business? Yeah. And one of the things that we're, we're pitching right now is, um, you know, we really want to see folks uh, have a plan before they need it. Uh, you, you said it like I'm yeah. a big planner, right? 
Because if you go into, like right now, you could develop a plan for repowering your site and you don't need it right now. Everything's working, but you get into a situation, you get an inverter out of warranty and the parts with lead times with COVID now, your parts aren't going to be here for 22, 52 weeks. Like, what are you going to do? So Mm. we, we come up with plans and strategies. How do you deal with situations like that? Are you going to repower half your plant? Are you going to repower just a quarter of it? And then you can save some of that equipment to, to fix your other units that go offline. So you're, you're essentially building a strategy for the long-term success of your PV asset. And no one's thinking about this right now. Uh, yeah, it's amazing to me that, to to hear from you, you know, sort of inside the the belly of a lot of these projects to, that no one's really thinking about it. And this is the kind of proactive planning, like I said, if, if you fail to plan, then you're planning to fail. And we see it time and, uh, time, and time again in our industry. It's one of those unspoken dirty secrets. Yeah. Uh, it, it actually reminds me, when you were talking about truck rolls, one of the things that might be non-obvious for folks that aren't on the utility side, because this isn't really an aspect or element that we have to think about for residential projects in particular, is the the downtime cost to an IPP. So you work with Clearway and a bunch of other big time IPPs that own assets all over the world. What's like a day of production loss look like for them? Uh, depends on how many, how many inverters are offline, but for some of the older sites you're looking and depending on the size of the inverter, you're looking at, you know, anything from, you know, $900 a day where you have something offline yeah. and it gets lower, you know, something like, you know, two to $300 per day. Uh, I, yeah. think, I think if it's in North Carolina, it has to be closer to 900. If it's, uh, you know, somewhere in California, closer to 300. So think about it. Um, the math that historically they've been doing is if this project's down for a day, uh, it costs us 900. If we roll a truck and get it fixed, it costs us 1200. They'll probably say, you know, that, like that's it. That's the, the, there, there's some calculation going into how do we, how, how long can we afford to wait um, mm-hmm. before we roll a truck? And, and you've, and, and you've come up with a plan and many now clients are working with you on planning for that, that downtime minimization, uh, which at the end of the day is like, if we are going to compete against fossil fuels, if we're going to purport that these assets are just as good as combined cycle plants uh, and their uptime is equivalent, then we have to be able to minimize downtime. And with climate change destroying things the way that Hurricane Ida and many others have done recently, um, that's a whole other, we we could do a whole other series. (laughs) Whole other series. Well, I've I've mentioned Strata here. I know that you uh, are probably going to talk a little bit, if I ask this question, you're probably going to talk about one of your mentors uh, over there. But uh, I always like to know if you think about the solar and renewable industry as success stories, who comes to mind for you? Uh, so I, I, I've got three people. I, I want to ask probably that much, but uh, okay. one, of the, one of the, I mean, you brought up Strata. So uh, Marcus Wilhelm over there, man, I, as someone who's been a big, they were our first customer, right? And they're the fir- first wow. believer in what we were doing. And um, just having him there, someone I look at is like, he's a freaking titan. In the, in the mm. solar industry. And, and this is like, you know, he's in, he's in a, this was his retirement project. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah. <laughs> like, it's wild, man. Yeah. But I look at his success. I look at what he's done and how he's pivoted, um, you know, his, his company. And I'm like, this is, this is fantastic. Um, and working with him and, and, you know, being associated with, with, uh, with them at all is just, uh, it's, it's truly a blessing. You know, what's fun is when you get to the point where I remember you were having some trouble uh, with, the left hand not knowing what the right hand is doing at um, early in your relationship. And I was like, why haven't you talked to Marcus about this? And you're like, you're right. I can pull that card. I'm the CEO and he's the CEO. Yeah. You have no <laughs> and, idea. and you no had, idea. you had, 
but you had been sort of cultivated in this mindset of like, I'm not going to bother him. He's the CEO. He's so important. Um, right. Exactly. <laughs> I can't, I can't, I can't like knock on his door. Yeah. Uh, who else comes to mind for you? Uh, yeah. So uh, Chuck Smith was a guy who hired me at SMA. He ran their service department mm. and he, he saw something in me. He saw that 50%. I'm sure he uses a 50% rule because I, yeah. I was missing a huge chunk of it. Um, he brought me on and he built a culture in SMA service department um, that has just been phenomenal. Like they, mm. oh, they, they led the service, the service market during that time period when he was managing that group. So definitely Chuck Smith and then uh, John Schrader over at, uh, at Depcom running their own M division. That yeah. guy has been uh, a huge proponent of, of my success as well. Not just, um, you know, because they're a big customer of ours, but, but because he spent the time, um, you know, working through issues with me, uh, being open in his communications with me. And that's, I can't, I can't say enough good stuff about uh, all three of those individuals. Is there a particular moment where you look back and think, I'm really glad this thing happened. Maybe it was a hard, like a real, like a dead end and you decided to turn around and stop digging, or uh, maybe it was a mindset shift that accelerated your ability to grow. You know, it was my experience that, uh, it was two things. It was the experience at REC mm -hmm. where, you know, I wasn't being humble. I, I wasn't owning my mistakes. That was a huge lesson for me because I've never been somewhere where everyone just vehemently mm -hmm. hated me. Um, that was a new mm -hmm. experience. And then really helped me shift my mindset uh, to be different. And then leaving SMA and just seeing, seeing like outside of the house, like it's like this, I was like, this dog is inside my whole life. And then I finally got let out the front door and I'm like, oh my God, look at everything. This is amazing. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Yeah. You were, when you got, when you were off leash. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That is really cool. Is there anything in particular about the culture that Chuck uh, fostered? Yeah, he, it was, it was an open door culture. He's like, if there's an issue, come and see me. Um, you guys, and he empowered us too. He said, look, if there's an issue on site, he's like, whether you can get a hold of me or not, if when you're in your good judgment, if you're saying this is a problem, stop work, stop, shut it down. You guys have authority to do that. I will, you'll never be punished or reprimanded for anything as long as you had good reason. Um, and you made that and you pulled that stop work card. Chuck was huge about like with that. And, and we actually, me and me and Cliff at the time, we actually came up with uh, little rubber band bracelets. You know, it's like uh, Lance Armstrong bracelets that said, uh, "What would Chuck do on them?" And we passed we passed them out uh, because it was like That's that was so we, were, we were trying to like you know preach the same thing to the new teams who didn't who didn't really know Chuck as well yet. Um, and, yeah. and that that was pretty successful, except for the part of I used acronyms and I I kind of looked like Fidel Castro at the time, and the bracelet I put together oh ended up using SMA's colors, but they looked like uh, like the Cuban flag. <laughs> So it was <laughs> sort of what would Chuck do? What would Castro do? That was the only bad part of it. Oh my God, dude, that's hilarious. What uh, advice might you have for other, other entrepreneurs, right? That are in the throes of startup life right now. Be weird, be yourselves, you know, embrace that. Whatever makes you different, just embrace yeah. it. Just, just accept that you're different and that you're weird and, uh, and share that with everyone around you. They, they may not, not everyone will appreciate it, but it'll, it'll make you stand out and it'll draw yeah. the people who uh, it'll draw people to you that are, you know, essentially good people who don't, don't care about that part so much. Um, yeah. And then I would say, uh, you know, read, educate, teach, and definitely do writing, whether you're going to do it on your social media or you're doing a blog, whatever, but just write stuff down, journaling, whatever you're going to do, just write. It's, it's so mm. good for your mind and your thought process. And then uh, it can be done again. Whatever you're at with an entrepreneur, take those risks and this is something that Marcus said to me. He said, 
go and take the risks. He's like, you know, you don't know what's going to happen in the future. You don't know what's going to, you know, what's going to work and what's not going to work. Go take the risks. You've already done it once. You can definitely do it again. So that I, I keep those words in my head um, because it can be done again. And, and don't think it can't. If you're here now and your business is great, um, you can get there again, even if it's not. So I'm super inspired by that, man. I love the symbiosis and um, the, the, the two-way channel that we've developed as a friendship. I actually am encouraged and inspired because uh, you never know where, where we're all at in our journey. And if we're open to receive as well as to give, Mm-hmm. then we feed one another. And, uh, you know, this conversation is feeding me, man. Like I tell my kids all the time, I learned from Michael Burnoff, uh, that, that the notion, if you can do it once, you can do it. If you've done it once, you can do it again. And if yeah. I say to my kids right now, like you, you should try this when you see my kids again, if you've done it once and I guarantee you, Josh, you'll say you can do it again. Nice. Uh, and they, it's ingrained in their heads, man. Uh, I, I just love that notion. I have a question for you though, cause mm. you've gotten to know me pretty well and, uh, have seen, what perhaps I, I say, I don't consider myself weird in many ways, but this is also an example of us not being able to see ourselves. So I'll model for uh, our listeners what I want you guys to do in your own world. Uh, what makes me weird? What makes you weird? Oh man, where do we start? Um, <laughs> <laughs> hey, you, you open this. Um, what makes me go weird? Man, I would say, I mean, I'm looking, I'm thinking back at SPI because I mean, even though you and I have been communicating in friends for so long, we haven't technically been in the same room um, as much as we both would have liked. Um, no, so, like one coffee in two years, I think, because of the pandemic probably, and yeah. me living in Mexico. Wild. No, actually, we hung out in Mexico. Remember Mexico. my first LinkedIn Live? Yep, yep. Um, yeah. So I don't think this is like weird, but this is something that's like a differentiator for you. Mm. You are always you're always sharing tidbits of, of motivation. You're always sharing, it's not just on your podcast, but you're, you're doing it in real life. I mean, you're doing it now. You're, you're sharing motivational bits. You're sharing all the lessons that you pull out of like books. You're sharing that stuff with people around you. You're sharing it with your kids. Um, that's yeah. when I think of Nico, I think about all the great ideas that, uh, that you've shared with me, all the motivations that you shared with me. Um, so I'd say that's, yeah. that's what makes you weird, man. Most people don't yeah. try and help other people. I have to give credit where credit's due. James Altucher is my virtual mentor. If I ever get a chance to meet James in person, I would jump at it. There's two people I would want to meet in person before they die. The first is Guy Raz. He's the only person I probably fanboy. And uh, and the second is James Altucher. Ironically, both are podcasters and entrepreneurs um, <laughs> and both live in the U.S. Northeast where I've never lived in my life. But hmm. you know this because we've talked about it, but James Altucher uh, has this practice, which I usually will assign to my coaching clients, which is how to be an idea machine. And it is really simple. It is every morning, write down 10 new ideas. And those 10 ideas don't have, you don't have to remember them. It is just the muscle of becoming an idea machine. I think that the thing that surprises people most as just reflecting off what you said is that surprises people most is that how willing I am to give people ideas, right? Because I fun- fundamentally believe that ideas are, are not the secret sauce execution is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this comes from James Altucher. He would write down ideas and send ideas to like the head of product. He was invited to Amazon, in fact, to speak because he wrote a bunch of ideas. He sent them to like the head of product at JetBlue and at Amazon. One of them was like how Amazon Web Service could be a better product. And- it was just because he was sitting down and thinking, how can I help him be of service? And, and he, 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 since he had this muse, which is write 10 ideas a day, he over time cultivated the, this muscle. And I decided 
in my mid thirties, I will be an idea machine. And I like to say, uh, my friend, uh, John Dumas, entrepreneur on fire, he, he will say like, if we get on a treadmill, you're going to puke before I get off. <laughs> and, uh, and I, I kind of look at that from an ideas perspective. Like I am a brainstorming idea machine and there's no, like I will go toe to toe in an idea marathon with anyone. So, <laughs> That's um, and, that, and to your, to your credit, you, as uh, and maybe I should use this as a caveat mTOR to to coaching clients, but it's not my job to filter for you, right? Yeah. yeah. And I can't. There are countless times where I've given you like just dumb ideas uh, on this, like on the second layer, like on the surface, like oh, that's really interesting. But then you dig down and you go, wait, that's not for me. Like that idea is for somebody else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, can I look, piggyback you've... something on that real quick? Yeah, go yeah, for it. Uh, so I forget who it was, but like think of a great comedian. They didn't get good by just writing a couple jokes and wow, their successes. They got good because yeah. they wrote, you know, two or three jokes every single day and kept practicing and practicing and practicing. Mm-hmm. That's, that's how you get good. Once you get good, yeah. that's when you get the money. Like you, you're not, mm-hmm. you're not, if you're in this, if you're, if you're an entrepreneur and you're in this just to make money, you are not going, I mean, maybe you'll be successful. I don't know, but you will not be mm-hmm. as successful as someone who's in it to serve someone or to help yeah. serve, uh, you know, uh, some in some other way or capacity, because they are they are getting good because they are you know providing value and 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 service. Uh, so I, yeah. I I feel like it's really important to touch on that topic because a lot of people out there just want the money. Absolutely, and if you're going to get good at anything, get good at connecting the dots. Yeah, you know, I think that this is one of those re- one of the reasons why I uh, I mean I, I need to put the idea of the mastermind together because there are so many times where like these kinds of conversations can help folks move the needle. Right. Yep. And it is necessary as we've said countless times here to surround yourself with people who will, will lovingly force you to see your view, your worldview from a different perspective and, and, and within whom you can trust and get validation that they are not trying to make a buck off of you. They are not trying to misguide you they're genuinely eager to, to see you succeed and they want to see you win. And so I'd encourage everyone listening to find those people in your life. And if you don't have them, uh, I can tell you that because we are, uh, gen, gen, genuinely, uh, sincerely outgoing and, and in a position of help, like Austin or I will gladly take a phone call to bounce ideas and to help you find, <laughs> find uh, which of the good ideas are worth pursuing, but the hard work is inside of, of each one of us. And I admire in you, your willingness to, to be weird and and to feel foolish in pursuit of who you are meant to be in the, in this place. So, uh, kudos on that. I, I have a question around, uh, you see things that are happening in the marketplace that other people don't have a vantage point on because Mm -hmm. you see both where failures are happening and where innovation is happening. What's got you most excited right now with regard to our industry, clean energy, solar, specifically uh, in scale? What's next? What corners are you looking around? Man, I'm just like what you said with the innovators. Uh, there's so many new technology companies that are uh, developing, you know, solutions, especially on the energy storage front. There's a company called Yada, or it might be Yoda. I might be pronouncing it wrong. Sorry. Yada. I'm sorry, yep. you guys. Uh, but dude, like their but battery. definitely going to text me, gonna me. Say, You got it wrong. You got it wrong. <laughs> Um, so it's, it's amazing the battery technology that they're coming up with that you can basically put on mm. an existing system. Like, and there's very little yeah. work. I mean, that's the biggest part guys is if you're doing a repowering project or you're doing anything like that, 
It's how do we minimize that implementation cost? Hardware cost is what it is. How do you minimize the implementation cost? Innovative technologies like this storage solution, this is one of those technologies. And then on the flip side, on the service perspective, uh, there's a company called uh, 365 Pronto, and they're providing you know, field service for residential, commercial, and utility systems, but they're doing it in like an Uber format. And it's mm. like, it's so powerful because I'm like, I need to go do all these site visits, but it's going to cost me, you know, 20 grand to like get on a plane, be out there for two weeks and then fly back. Whereas there's people who already live in that area who have solar experience who can go and take these pictures for me. I can't say enough about yeah. their services. And that uh, hat tip to Rue Phillips and the team there. Uh, I remember at Trina first meeting Rue and his team when they were running and growing the, what ultimately became the behemoth of True, True South Renewables. And at the time, Uber and others were coming around and this notion of like the Uber of everything was, uh, was coming about. Uh, there's been a lot of head scratching as Rue and his team matured the concept of 365 Pronto, but it's been fun. I know from years in my vantage point, watching the ideation and innovation process, mm -hmm. because over the last three to five years, like the through line of their vision has held true and the, the actual in the field implementation is what has been molded based on the feedback, which is to say no idea is perfect out the gate. You got to get that idea out in the world. Like it's got to get out there and live on its own oh, yeah. and it will, like a child, it will learn to fend for itself and it will mature into something that you couldn't have expected. Right. Yeah. I wonder, cause I feel like you, like me geek out on a lot of technology is there anything that you've seen come across your desk or just like through late night Google searches that has you excited about climate tech? Oh man, I am, I'm hopeful that we have, we have a future on this planet, but the biggest thing that, that I'm excited about and I'm, it's, mm -hmm. it seems like this is the year where people really had time or maybe last year they had time to actually, you know, flesh out some of these ideas is tidal energy. I dude. Oh Yeah. I used to surf so much and I don't, I don't anymore at all. Um, and so for me, I'm like, how awesome would it be to be like a field service engineer for like a title project? And like, you got to look like be in a wetsuit and like swim out. I'm pumped on That's that cool. experience. I don't know if I'll ever do it, but if you're a title company, call me. <laughs> That's so good. Oh my gosh. This is the, like you have, I love the, the hunger as an entrepreneur of constantly thinking about the next iteration, the next version and, it, and aligning it with where you want to be and what you want to be doing. That's so cool. It's so bad, dude, because you get stuck in these conversations. You literally get stuck in the conversations because you're so excited bouncing ideas off each other. And it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. We're competitors. Like, we have to stop this right now. We got to go. <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, as we said, readers are leaders and leaders are readers. Are there a couple of books that for you maybe stand out as books that have made an impact on you or that you share with others as examples of how they can uh, implement growth in their own life and business? Yeah, the, the one that I'm in right now that I've been recommending the most is uh, Tools of Titans by uh, Tim Ferriss. Oh, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. It's like it's like all of his podcasts have just been like shortened down. So you just get like the distilled like secret sauce from all these individuals and you can just open it up and, and read two pages and you've just finished off, you know, one of those experiences, one of those podcasts and taking the gems out of it. Uh, I love it. I absolutely love it. Uh, there's so much good stuff in there that's really influenced me uh, over the last uh, six or seven months or so. Outside of that, traction, as always, uh, mm. coming up with an uh, entrepreneur operating system. Uh, traction is the recipe for that. It's a little bit corny and they want you to do some corny things, but that stuff 
It's yeah. literally, they say, trust, trust the process. Just trust it. Yeah. I love that you say that actually, because I remember hearing reflection from you about your team meetings and how your team, I won't call out anyone, uh, would push back on oh, yeah. some of the, uh, we'll call it like foundational principles, right? The, mm-hmm. the, the first principles, the first steps that you have to take. And if you trust the process, we'll have to have you back and talk about what the result of the process. Oh be. yeah. We can talk about um, Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. Tell us about Thursday. Oh no. All right. All right. So traction, one of the things that it talks about is come up with these principles and, uh, that kind of, it's a long story, but it, it spawned this thing where Thursday is the root of the word Thursday is technically Thor's day. It's named after Thor. So we all got excited about so it good. and I was trying to motivate the team. And one Thursday I was like, Hey, today's, today's Thor's day. And that means this is going to be, this is your last, this is the fourth day of the week. It's your last like full strong day. Cause Friday, you know, you're going to slack off mm. on Friday. Everyone slacks off on Friday. So Thursday is your last, your Thursday is your last day to really make it a strong day. So make it a, make it a strong day. Write down your to-do list for Thursday. Make it special and and knock everything out on your to-do list. That's a good Thursday. And we all we all post memes in Slack. There's all kinds of Thor memes. Um, we've got a, co- uh, uh, a lady on our team, Nicole. She uh, we call her the Meme Queen because her Thor memes are just off the charts. It's ridiculous. I love it, <laughs> dude. When we air, uh, obviously this airs on a Thursday. Thank uh, God. We have got to. You got to remind me. You got to remind me to integrate Thursday yes. into my blog post. Okay. Oh. Um, so if, you, if you're just listening to this and you ever check out the blog, you should go read either my LinkedIn post or our blog because it'll incorporate a meme. Like pick the best meme, pick the best meme and we'll use it for, okay. uh, for our <laughs> blog post. All right. I'll do that. I love it. Good deal. Um, you mentioned this, the book, Up the Organization. We'll yes. link to you and I have talked a lot about one book in particular that I feel became a really critical tool, not just for you, but for your co-founder. Oftentimes you guys began to use the tactics against each other. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So never split the difference. Um, so this is, this is books written by a former FBI hostage negotiator. So the idea is like, you can't, how you can split a hostage, you know, like you can have the arms. Like yeah. I don't, it doesn't work that way. Um, so in this book, it, it really focuses on developing empathy and, and essentially mm-hmm. playing off someone else's empathy. Um, and, but the, the best part about it is it's not written like do this and you can manipulate people. It's do this and you can better understand people so that you can deliver yeah. your message and show them how you can provide value for them. That's been my biggest That's takeaway true. from it. Um, but there, there's a ton of strategies in there you can utilize to, um, yeah. if you're, if you're doing it with like your business partner, you're doing it on them intentionally. Uh, it's, it's weird. Cause you'll recognize it, but not that moment. You'll recognize it like a day later and you're like, you, <laughs> Why? Why did you do that to yeah, me? I love it. I had tip to Cliff because he became a Jedi master. Like he internalizes so these things so quickly. I remember the moment where I said to Austin, okay, from now on, you need to shut up in meetings and Cliff needs to talk. Let Cliff do the negotiating because he has mastered this principle. It's true. It's true. <laughs> and he's gotten, uh, he's so good. He's so good. So I had tip to you, Cliff. I know you're probably listening to this and laughing at so many of the stories we are not telling and, and wiping your brow. <laughs> Austin, uh, as we round uh, the corner here towards home, I got a couple more questions for you. Is there a particular habit or consistent practice that has given you what I'd like to call leverage or extra yield in your life? Maybe a morning routine or evening routine? Bullet journaling. Um, You know, you can do, you can build a system for yourself. How do you get through your days? What do your days look like? Um, Whether that's in your Google calendar, whether that's, uh, you know, in a bullet journal like I've done, 
Um, or if it's in an app, like ClickUp is a great tool, a great resource. It's totally free. Even like most of the plans are you know, very cost effective. I highly recommend using a tool like that to plan out your day, plan out your week, plan out your quarter and plan out your years. Um, we're only, we only have so much time on this planet. So make sure you're, uh, you're planning each one of those years that you got coming up. Otherwise it's going to be gone and you're going to be like, where'd it go? Well, Austin, I expect that more than a few folks are going to want to reach out and say hello and thank you for the laughs and the insights and the vulnerability. How could they do that? Uh, LinkedIn. I'm, uh, I read those messages pretty frequently. Um, I try, I don't really post as much as I used to, but definitely hit me up on LinkedIn. Um, more than happy to, to talk with you guys or, or tag me in something. If you got my, something cool to share Thursday memes, I'll take my it. challenge for you, even though. Yeah, exactly. My challenge to you, uh, is today's Thursday we're recording and, uh, and even though it, it'll, it'll be several weeks before this episode posts, go post a Thor's Day meme and grab the hashtag Thor's Day before I do sure. in LinkedIn. Also, if you're enjoying this post because today is Thursday, post your favorite Thor's Day reference and how you're crushing your goals and give a hat tip acknowledgement at Austin Tabor on LinkedIn so that he'll know you've listened and you have internalized <laughs> these ideas. I think that that would be fantastic. Austin, I'm going to elevate your Thor's Day idea to the stratosphere if I can. Well, let's end today, Austin, with a bold prediction as we always do. What one thing do you see happening that perhaps nobody else is following? What's in your crystal ball? So right now there's all these John Deere tractor owners who can't Mm. fix their tractors because John Deere has the special magic passwords and is telling them their warranty is going to be invalidated if they fix their tractors. So that's spawning all these right to repair laws and they're already starting to see them happen over in Europe. Um, what I'd really yeah. like to see is more of these right to repair laws that make you know OEM software, OEM instructions available for the people who own the equipment. I am, mm. I'm really hoping that that takes root here and, and grows leaps and bounds. So I'm crossing my fingers. Austin Tabor is the co-founder and CEO of Solar Support. We have been regaled by his stories, insight, wisdom, and culture building weirdness for the last uh, hour plus. Thank you, my friend, for joining us on Suncast. May it not be the last. Yeah, man. Thank you so much for having me, man. Appreciate you. Beyond belief. All right, Solar Warrior, thank you for listening all the way through Austin's inspiring story. And thank you, Austin, for sharing it with us. We're all eager to hear what exciting new plans you've got for the coming months as solar support continues to thrive. If you're eager to keep learning while you, my fellow Philomath, can find the resources and highlights from this and every discussion, along with social media links, book recommendations, and more over on the blog at mysuncast.com. Click on the show notes tab. And if you're wondering if perhaps you'd enjoy working one-on-one with me the way Austin and his co-founder Cliff did, then I'd encourage you to click on the work with Nico button right there on the website as well. Fill out the brief survey and schedule a 15 minute call so that we can discuss it further. Next week, we go deep into the weeds of how customer choice markets work. What are they? Where are they? And how can you profit from them? So make sure you're subscribed to the podcast in your favorite player and click that bell so that you'll get notified when the next episode comes out. And hey, if you'd like me to remind you via email, well, you could just subscribe while you're right there on mysuncast.com and we'll let you know as soon as the next episode is published. Thanks so much to our sponsors for helping make this content free to you. You can learn more about them at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor. 
That's also where you could learn how to partner with us to reach thousands of solar warriors and clean tech champions twice a week. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle. <laughs>